Hi listeners and welcome to Above the Wing, a podcast to bring together all aspects of the aviation community, including engineers, journalists, mechanics, pilots, and even casual hobbyists. I'm your co-host Kim. And I'm your co-host Ashley. We'll talk about all things aviation, from current events to new products and airplanes to industry trends and everything in between. As always, we're going to start off with our In the News segment. Just recently, a Bell helicopter Ukrainian customer broke in his brand new Bell 407 GXI helicopter by taking it on a transatlantic flight. The flight was operated by customer Maxim Lonev. He is the pilot and owner of Helicub, which is one of their independent representatives. This flight included stops in 13 countries and the customer himself was aboard. The representative of the company who took this flight with him said, I've been a pilot for 13 years and a transatlantic flight is something I've always wanted to do. It would not have been easily done without the IFR kit, which is something that was installed on this helicopter. He goes on to say the Bell 407 GXI is a remarkable helicopter that provided a safe and enjoyable trip. The helicopter that this customer bought is going to be used for corporate transportation around Ukraine, where he's from. Um, and it's going to be featured along with the Bell 505 and Bell 429 that he also has. So best of luck to him in his ventures. Very cool. I've always wanted to fly in a helicopter. I've never done it before. I feel like it will be a very cool experience. Yeah, I haven't either. And what a way to break in a helicopter. I know. I would feel so cool if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our next headline is that Girls in Aviation Day 2021 reaches nearly 10,000 girls. It is hosted by an organization called Women in Aviation International. This year, they hosted 85 events around the world, and these events reached nearly 10,000 attendees. These events included both in-person and virtual gatherings via the Aviation for Girls app. And this year's Girls in Aviation Day was on September 25th, 2021, so pretty recently, and events will continue throughout October. Like I said, this was hosted by an organization that is called Women in Aviation International, so this event slash day was celebrated in the U.S. as well as 17 other countries. At this event, girls were introduced to career and lifestyle possibilities in aviation and aerospace. So the organization did this by having the girls meet with role model, um, organizing career panels for the girls, and also just letting the girls kind of roam around airplanes and airports to explore, and finally participating in hands-on educational activities. I pulled a quote from the article from the Women in Aviation International CEO, Allison McKay. She said, We go beyond piloting careers and include air traffic controllers, astronauts, mechanics, engineers, technicians, designers, and more. In fact, one girl told me that she now wants to design aircraft interiors as her career. That's a career she would have never known of, much less considered without girls on Aviation Day. And that quote just warmed my heart. That's awesome to hear that this event had such high attendance and we love to see all the uh, interest. Yep, I completely agree. So moving on, the Air Transport Action Group has issued a declaration stating that global civil aviation operations will achieve net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050, supported by accelerated efficiency measures, energy transition, and innovation across the aviation sector, in partnership with governments around the world. The declaration also noted that by 2050, the aviation industry will move more than 10 billion passengers a year, 
with traffic levels two and a half times greater than what we saw in the year 2019. While the report stated that emerging technologies such as hybrid power, electricity, and hydrogen could contribute between 12 and 34% of the emissions reductions required to meet the net zero goal, the bulk of the savings, somewhere from 50 to 71%, is projected to come from sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, like we've talked about in past podcasts. The report also states that the industry will need 445 million tons of SAF in 2050, and to reach that, they're estimating a required investment of about $1.45 trillion over the next three decades will be needed. So sounds like it's quite the undertaking, but it's pretty interesting to see that they're realistically seeing that this is what the industry would look like then. Yeah, definitely. And I always like hearing headlines about uh, net zero aviation. It's always very promising. Yeah, I agree. Our last headline is that former Boeing pilot was indicted for fraud in the 737 MAX case. The federal grand jury and the Northern District of Texas indicted former Boeing chief technical pilot Mark Forkner with deceiving the FAA during the evaluation and certification of the Boeing 737 MAX. This former chief technical pilot allegedly provided the agency with materially false, inaccurate, and incomplete information about the 737 MAX's maneuvering characteristics augmentation system, abbreviated MCAS, leading to the omission of any reference to flight control software software in the training manuals. The acting U.S. attorney, Chad E. Meacham, for the Northern District of Texas said, in an attempt to save Boeing money, Forkner allegedly withheld critical information from regulators. His callous choice to mislead the FAA hampered the agency's ability to protect the flying public and left pilots in the lurch, lacking information about certain 737 MAX controls. The Department of Justice will not tolerate fraud, especially in industries where the stakes are so high. I thought this... um, Headline was definitely a good wrap up to the whole 737 MAX investigation, and I'm glad that um, whoever was responsible was held accountable. Yeah, I agree. I feel like when all this was going on, I wasn't probably following it as closely as I should have been, but it's very interesting to see that this is sort of what we've come to as a as a standing point now. Mm-hmm, definitely. And this may be a future episode. Stay tuned. All right, now we're going to start the bulk of our episode, and today we have a very exciting episode. So we have Stefan Darawski joining us today, and I'm super excited to have him on to start things off. Stefan, can you just give us a little intro about how you got into the airline industry, what your job is right now, and just a little background on yourself? Yeah, so currently I'm a captain on the Embraer 145 aircraft. It's a regional plane, 50 seats. When you walk inside it's and you look at the configuration, it's two seats and one seat. And I've been flying this plane for about three years now and have been in the airlines for about four and a half years. So I started my flight training in college. I didn't have really any like aviation experience before that. Um, I went to like the EAA summer camp and I've always been like interested in aviation, but not really like any formal flight training. So. Uh, when I went to college, everything was pretty new to me. Did you go into college knowing that you wanted to go into aviation? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I went in. Um, I looked at like a few colleges that had aviation programs. So there's kind of a few ways that you can 
do flight training. The first is, of course, like the military. You know, when you go in the military, you obviously do all your flight training through there and, you know, have like a career in the military as a pilot. Uh, but through the civilian route, there's really two kinds of training. One is Carl called Part 61, which uh, refers to like the aviation regulations. So Part 61 of the regulations governs that type of training, and the other is Part 141. The only difference between the two is 141 is more of curriculum-based, where you know each lesson is part of a lesson plan for an overall curriculum for a course, while Part 61 is, let's say you just want to learn how to fly and you walk over to your local flight school and there's a guy who's like, yeah, I'm a flight instructor, I can teach you. And he's like, today we're going to work on this, and now we're going to work on this. And you know, you get all your minimum requirements done, you find an examiner, you meet the test standards, and you get your license. Well, Part 141 is more structured. Now, within the Part 141 program, there are a few different ways that you can do that. There's like standalone flight schools where they have like their own curriculum for that. You do it, you get all your flight training done, and then there's others that are associated with universities. So I went to university and um, it had a flight program that was part 141 accredited. And I did my whole flight training through there as well as I got a degree. So did you do the flight training concurrently with the degree? Like I did, how did yeah. that look? Yeah. So they, they kind of like incorporated it into like the overall college degree. Um, so the flying was like a lab, a quote unquote lab. So, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So you get, you get uh, like college credits for it. So the, you know, first year when you're a freshman, you know, you're doing like your private pilot training and then you, um, during the second semester, you do what's called advanced flying, which is um, where you just fly like a more complex aircraft and start building flight time. Wow. So you're flying by your sophomore year. Yeah. Well, freshman year, you're, you should have your license by then. Like, oh, that's your private awesome. pilot's license. Yeah. You, day one, day one of class, you're, you're flying. Like they get you in straight away. And then of course, like you're doing all your regular college classes, you're taking ground class. So it, it can be a lot. Do you regret it doing it both at the same time? No. Some days I'm like, <laughs> how, how was I responsible enough? Um, you know, being like a college freshman, how did I, how did I get through all this like by myself? You know, like how did I have like the discipline to like do all this? I don't, I don't really regret it at all. Um, I was able to complete all the courses and I had a pretty fun experience in college. Of course, made a lot of friends along the way. How did you go about getting your first job? Like, was it a lot of networking? Was it just sort of throwing your name in apps? That's a good question. So my school had kind of like an agreement with uh, the airline I'm working at where they wanted like a, almost like a defined path for people to work there. And so what you ended up doing was you could like interview at the company if they're hiring, uh, like while you're like still like a student and you're like part of their like program and they kind of like follow you through it. And then you have like a job at the end. And this is like pretty common now at colleges, um, especially because airlines, you know, at least for the past like six years or so have been hiring a lot. They have like relationships with a lot of schools and, you know, they'll go to the schools and start like meeting with people early and know people kind of get an idea of like oh i can like work here and you know you end up like interviewing like really early on like i interviewed for the job uh, like a year before i actually had the hour requirements to oh wow to go there so uh if anyone's listening and wants a stable job it's like <laughs> this could be your route <laughs> 
Yeah, I have a, I have honestly had a similar experience because I I had my full-time job offer locked down in the aerospace slash aviation industry um, more than a year before I was set to graduate. And I feel like a lot of these big companies and airline companies and things like that, they do really heavy recruiting. But I don't really fully understand the reason for that, to be honest. I'm not complaining, to be clear, because I have a job. Yeah, right, right now the market market for pilots is like pretty tight. So, you know, the these companies want to form relationships with uh, like prospective applicants like pretty early on because there's, you know, like five or six companies looking at the same group of people. So it's, you know, pretty much like a buyer's market right now where you can pretty much choose where you want to go. Of course, like COVID complicated that a little bit for a short time, but, you know, now things are really opening back up a lot in terms of hiring. Right. I think, Ashley, you maybe you had brought this up or I had brought this up in one of our in the news segments that there was a pilot shortage post-COVID. Yeah. Because I think, I don't know how much you know about this, Stefan, or if you heard about this, but it sounded like what had happened is that a lot of pilots got laid off because the lack of demand because of COVID. And then the demand started ramping back up and they couldn't replace people quickly enough or rehire people. So is that related to a pre-existing pilot shortage before COVID? Yeah, the the labor market was like pretty tight before COVID. But one of the things that kind of exasperated it is it's kind of like an accordion where um, in order to get someone trained, you know, it takes about three months. So if, you know, you like lay people off and the demand all of a sudden shoots up, you're not going to be able to start getting people online for at least mm. three months. And of course, the training spots are pretty limited. You can't just train everyone all at once, you know, with like the simulator slots in the classrooms. So they kind of had to ramp a lot of things back up because not only were just the pilots laid off, but you know, the training department shrank, the recruiting department shrank. So everything had to really grow a lot in order to fulfill the demand, which I think we're still seeing a lot of the side effects of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like they're trying to re expand the accordion now, right? Yeah. And also one of the limits is uh, like the aircraft simulators. You know, there's only a certain amount of simulators that like exist. For example, um, you know, when I've when I've gone in like simulators, like some airlines only might own like two or three like sims. So there's only so many people we can get trained up at the same time while you also have to utilize those sims for like your annual recurrent training and, you know, other events that people have to go to into the simulator for that, you know, the space can be very limited. Mm-hmm. All details that I never really thought about. So thank you for enlightening us. Yeah. <laughs> when you were, um, you know, looking for and, and talking to people from the airlines, what was important to you in, in finding a airline to work for? Yeah. So um, with the relationship that the company I work for um, had with uh, the college, uh, I knew like a lot of people who like worked at that company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, of course, I talked to them, um, asked them a lot of questions, you know, the people doing the interviews were people, it wasn't anyone who I directly knew, but, you know, we knew people in common. And so it just kind of felt like it was just like an extension of, you know, people I knew at university, sure. um, going there and, um, the other thing that I was really looking for was like, you know, like, where do I want to live? Um, what's funny is at the time, I really wanted to move to New York. 
And I was like asking people like, how's the New York base? Does, am I going to get the New York base? And everyone was like, oh, no one wants to go there. You'll easily get it. <laughs> and when I get to class, they didn't offer it. And I ended up uh, going to Chicago, uh, which, you know, four years later, I had an opportunity to go to New York and I'm still here in Chicago. Um, even if even if they do like offer the base you want to live, you might not always end up there, but it ended up working out in the end. Yeah. Glad to hear it. And I'm just curious because, you know, your job is flying, so you mm -hmm. travel a lot. How does that work? You mentioned that your company has bases. So how long do you spend at your base or at home and how long do you spend flying? Normally, the way that they build schedules is they call them trips and most trips are four days. So you're away from home three nights a week and then you're home usually four nights a week. Um, so, you know, four on, three off, basically. And then they build the schedules month to month. So each month you bid for a different schedule and it's done by seniority. So the person who's worked at the company the longest on the plane you're on bids first and then the next person, the next person, the next person. So you always have to just like rank your choices of which ones you want. So, you know, if you're like, oh, I have to like do this, this thing this month. You have to be like really careful about like what schedules you bid for. And, you know, you don't always get what you want, especially if you're newer. There are some schedules that are built differently. Uh, sometimes there's two-day trips, three-day trips, what we call day trips, which is you go out and fly, you come back home. You go out and fly, you come back home. Um, and then uh, something called a continuous duty overnight or a CDO, which is uh, where you're basically, quote unquote, on duty all night. And what you do is you fly out like a flight at like 10 p.m. at night. You get to your destination at like 11 or so. And then you fly the like 6 a.m. flight back. And so you're only really at the hotel for like four hours, but you're technically mm -hmm. like on duty the whole time. But that's all you do. You just do these two flights. It's kind of a toss up whether they uh, have those trips or not. Some people really like them. Some people don't. What do you prefer? What is your bid of choice? Uh, usually I'll, I'll do just like regular like four day trips. Um, as of late, that's mostly what all the schedules have been. There hasn't been that much variety in the kinds of flying that we're doing. Um, and part of it is just because of, you know, the post-COVID schedules are like pretty packed. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you're just doing like a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. Then the other kind of schedule is what's called reserve. So that's basically where you're on call. And that tends to be like more junior especially for people who are commuting, meeting, you don't live in where you're based. So you have to like fly in to come work. People generally don't want to do reserve if they're doing that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what exactly do you do as an airline captain? As the captain, you're pretty much responsible for like the operation of the, of the flight. You know, when you arrive at the aircraft, you review like the maintenance log book, see what what maintenance has been done on it? Are there any like minimum equipment list items? Meaning, is there any equipment that's been deferred? And if so, are there any like special procedures you need to do to operate the flight with this equipment not working? What's the weather looking like? You know, is everything legal? Meaning, do we have enough fuel to be able to go to our destination, our alternate airport? And then do you have like a legally like enough fuel afterwards? Um, like how's the route looking, the turbulence? That's mostly like your pre-flight duties. Uh, the first officer is responsible for doing the pre-flight walk around, you know, inspecting the outside of the aircraft to make sure everything looks good. Then, of course, while you're flying, you, uh, you're you the one who makes like all the, the big decisions. That's scary. 
No, you you know you build up to it. You don't you don't just start <laughs> out <laughs> start out being like, all right, you're in charge. Yeah, <laughs> that would be crazy. But yeah, I feel like when I fly, I just see all these people walking around, and I don't really know what they do or what it all means. So now I know what an airline captain means, but I know there's there's so many people. There's, can you give us an overview of like all the people that make a flight happen? Oh man, there's so many. So so like in the crew in the crew in the plane, there's the captain, the first officer, and the flight attendant or flight attendants plural, depending on how big the plane is. You know, the captain's the one in charge. The first officer, you know, everyone starts out as a first officer. And what's interesting is. At like a major airline, you know, some people are first officers like their entire career. It doesn't really always like reflect like people's like overall experience or um, like level of skill or anything. It's just the position that you get hired in when you get hired as a pilot. And so, you know, first officer is just second in command. They do all the same things that the captain does. They're not like the final authority for the flight. Like, you know, the captain's like, this is what we're doing. But, you know, first officer flies the plane. They're just as qualified. You know, they do a lot of the same uh, like duties that the captain does. Of course, you know, the flight attendant, I'm sure that's what you guys are like more familiar with. Um, outside of that, you have your dispatcher, who is the one who like creates your flight plan, goes over all like the fuel numbers, does like any like kind of like pre-flight calculations that you need. Like, let's say that like air traffic control gives you like another route that you didn't expect. You know, you're messaging your dispatcher being like, hey, we got this like reroute. Like, can we do it with this fuel that we have? Like, we don't do like any of those performance calculations like in the airplane that's like what we have the dispatcher for um and dispatchers you know work like multiple flights at once like they don't they're not like just for you like they do they do a bunch at once and then you have like the aircraft mechanics um then of course there's people like in operations there's the rampers who do the bags they have the wands (laughs) i've always wanted to be that guy or that gal who oh the rampers no, the wands. Are those the rampers? The wands? Yeah, those are the rampers. Yeah, they look so cool. And they're just like, <laughs> yeah. You, the podcast doesn't record video. I'm like flailing my arms. Like, you know, they always have like those signals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing is uh, there's like, there's a whole um, assortment of hand signals that you use with rampers. Yeah. That you have to wear. I noticed that. It's crazy. Which I'm sure most of them you don't see because, you know, they're. Um, it's like when we're like pushing out of the gate or coming like directly into the gate. And if you're like in the back, you can't see it because normally like what we'll do is we'll communicate with like the rampers, like with a headset, but like if the headset stops working or something, we have like an alternate means of using hand signals. I had no idea you talked to them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They, they connect into the plane and you're, you're talking with them. Oh, that's cool. Um, like when the, the plane gets like pushed back from like with a tug to like the thing that pushes it. Yeah, you're talking with them. That's There's so many intricacies. Yeah. I just had no idea of that. There's like a lot of like uh like almost uh like like cultural things that you you end up doing. Mm-hmm. For example, when the when they disconnect like the tug and like you're ready to go, um one thing you do is and you probably can't see this or you know, since there is no video, you uh, salute them. Mm. Like you each salute each other. And that's like saying like, we're all set. Bye. That's nice. Aw. Very cool. I should I should pay more attention. Usually I just stare out the window and look at the <laughs> engine and the, the wing pylons. I'm like, ooh, so cool. But I, never really, I feel like I have my head stuck in my, in my engineering world. 
but that's very awesome again thank you for telling us all these like insider facts yeah (laughs) yeah of course you said that you're currently an airline captain Uh right do you have any idea what you want to do in the future like is this what a kind of role that you want to stay in for the long term or do you want to change paths or anything um i'm i'm pretty content with um like what i'm doing now um i did like an internship at a different airline and i've had like some experience like with like operations and so i've kind of like seen like multiple sides Mm -hmm. of you know like what goes what goes on with the airline and you know it's been like a really interesting experience because especially like just flying you get like a very limited perspective on like what goes on with the rest of the operation and after seeing like the overall operation really made me appreciate just the flying a lot more <laughs> you know you doing like your specific role um and it, and it it can be especially fulfilling because you know i feel like a lot of like office jobs sometimes like the it's you don't really have like a lot of like tangible feedback with them of like Stefan, what are you trying to say? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm it's it's just fulfilling. Like you know, once you've completed a flight, you yeah. know, saying goodbye to everyone and you're like, wow, like we like you know did a lot today. Yeah, a lot is an understatement. You literally flew a plane of people from point A to point B. Yeah. I feel pretty great when I send an email. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that the equivalent of flying to point A to point B to yeah. an office job person? Yes. It makes it makes the noise when you send it, right? Oh yeah, the yeah. whoosh. You think I don't turn my volume up before I send an email? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I definitely I have an airplane poster above my desk, so every time I send an email, I'm like, I'm making that thing, right? Like this is what I'm this is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> This email is going to cause that to be made. True. And that's how I, that's my <laughs> tangible feedback. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. So what parts of the operation side did you like? And what parts of the, like what you do now, do you like? I, I'm just curious about the other side of all this stuff. What I find interesting about like the operations part is a lot of like the, the metrics that are used, like to gauge performance. Um, in terms of like reliability, like on-time performance. Um, and it's like really interesting to like really like dig into the numbers there and see like how things can be improved, like from an analytical standpoint. But, you know, within that, you can get like really hung up on just like very like small like delays and like what caused it? What caused the plane to be late one minute? You <laughs> yeah. know, and, and you can kind of like lose lose sight of like, well, you know, it was only one minute sometimes. Sometimes there wasn't just one thing that caused it. Mm-hmm. What I do now, it's just, um, you know, almost like the the pursuit for perfection. You know, they're like, t- this time it's really going to be the perfect fight. Like, everything's going to run, like, super smoothly. Uh, we'll just fly, like, really great. We'll have awesome landings, um, you know, and then inevitably there'll be, like, something that, um, like, didn't go perfect. And, and you're just, like, always striving to like improve what are examples of like things that don't go wrong that like you guys see us going wrong but like passengers like probably don't even realize oh there's there's so many <laughs> there's so Ashley, many you just opened that, a can of worms sorry. yeah you know, it, it, there's like so many things like you you it might even be as simple as like why did air traffic control have us land on this runway the taxi's gonna be so long sure yeah why do they have us taxi this way yeah you know um, especially like flying into Chicago, mm-hmm. 
um, some of the runways you land on, the taxi time, like the shortest taxi could be like seven minutes to the gate while the longest is like, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. You know, or or things like, you know, like waiting for the fuel truck. Like why, why isn't the aircraft in field? It's going to make us late. And a lot of times like these like small things um, can like cascade later, for example. On my last trip, like we had an issue with the aircraft getting fueled. And because we were late 30 minutes, it caused us our next flight to be late, which then we got stuck because of weather. So we ended up getting delayed like an hour and a half total, which if we had been on time, we would have gotten in before the weather and we wouldn't have been delayed at all. Yeah. Um, So you started that, you mentioning Chicago reminded me. So you, you, have you Mm -hmm. always been at Chicago? Yes. Right. Yeah. I've always, I've always been based here. What was it like starting at such a busy airport? Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> um, the biggest thing with uh, like Chicago is there's a lot of like unspoken rules mm. at the airport. Mm. Like you just have to know. Yeah. And you get these like very like complicated taxi procedures, which if you've been doing it a while, don't seem very complicated, sure. but if you've never heard it before can be very overwhelming. And so, you know, for my, my first couple flights um, during like IOE or initial operating experience, which is where you're with an instructor, mm-hmm. you know, they say they have this like super long taxi instruction and I'm like struggling to read it back. And I'm like, ask the captain. I'm like, Hey, uh, <laughs> like, you know, you understood what he said. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> and, you know, you just like do your best. Right. And, you know, I kind of feel like I'm in that situation now where sometimes I'll fly with someone new and I'll be like, yeah, I know what he's, I know what he said. Just do your best to read it all back. Mm-hmm. Or there's times where they, it's like so long and you'll end up saying, okay, we'll go the long way. And, you know, air traffic control knows what you're talking about and you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it easier. At what point were you promoted to captain? I got promoted to captain in, uh, 2018. Um, the way that it works is there's a pilot union. Mm-hmm. And so if you meet the minimum requirements, which is a thousand hours with the airline, mm-hmm. then if there are captain spots available, you can put in a bid for it. Gotcha. And so that's like what I did. And then I got awarded it and here I am today. <laughs> and what was that adjustment like? Um, it was kind of overwhelming at first. Really? Um, like, I, f- I felt prepared for it, but um, I ended up being a captain on a plane that I'd never flown before. And, oh, interesting. Um, you know, just just some of the the things that going go along with being a captain, I didn't really expect. For example, suddenly everyone wants to talk to you. Like <laughs> you're like, you know, the ramper comes up and asks a question. I'm like, wait, he's talking to me. Yeah, he's talking to me now. <laughs> or you know. Because I was always just so used to like the captain answering all the sure. questions and yeah. stuff. So um, that was like the biggest thing. But you know, it, you're you're still doing the same operation that you did as a first officer. So not that much had really changed, except for the seat you're sitting in. Right. Gotcha. So do you want to talk about COVID a little bit? I know that you you know you were already working for the airlines when COVID came around, um, so you didn't really have to deal with getting into it. Uh, you know, during COVID or anything, but what was it like as an existing employee? Yeah, so there was a lot of uncertainty, especially at the beginning with COVID, uh, because things were changing so quickly. And um, at first, we had like, really like robust schedules. 
but then they, you know, they started just canceling a lot of the flying, mm-hmm. like that was already supposed to happen. And so you would just like look on the flight board and just be like, cancel, cancel, mm-hmm. cancel, cancel, canceled. And you didn't really know like what was going to happen with like, like, you know, like I'm supposed to be flying like tomorrow. Am I still going to do it? What am I going to do instead? Um, so there was just like a lot of uncertainty initially. And then, you know, the company started trying to like cut things, like asking for like voluntary leaves and, you know, what they called zero timelines, which is where you like have like a line of flying, but it pays zero hours. So you basically get like a month off. Oh, wow. Um, and then that, it finally culminated in furloughs. Mm. And it, the fine never really went to like nothing at all, but there were like days at O'Hare where you would like look at the flight board and there would be like zero flights wow, and yeah. you could like walk around the terminals and it would just be like employees and there's like no one at all. Yeah. 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 There's like more TSA people than there are passengers. <laughs> How did furloughs work? Was it sort of by seniority or? It's yeah, it was, it was by seniority. Gotcha. Um, so they just go from the bottom and they just go up they say we need to cut 50 people and you know the uh last 50 to get hired or the first to go Hmm. um you know which is unfortunate you know that's that's how it works you know like with the union either luckily or not luckily most of the people that did get furloughed were people who hadn't really finished training yet they had like gotten hired like really recently and were like still like going through the training process so it wasn't anyone i really there wasn't a lot of people that I really knew personally who got furloughed like from my company just because I really interacted with them yet. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were there were a few that I did know. Uh, you know, some of them, of course, didn't have like really like other jobs that they could go back to. And there's just like a lot of uncertainty with that. Yeah. So I think that's a good stopping point. Um, it is a pretty serious topic. And as Many of us have experienced the pandemic and COVID has affected our mental health in a multitude of ways. And especially that was especially prevalent in the airline industry. So in the next segment, we'll be talking a little bit about how mental health, fatigue and stress can affect airline safety. And maybe we'll even touch upon some firsthand accounts of that and how we make sure that all of our flights are as safe as can be. So now moving on to our featured photos segment and a reminder that you can see the photos that we talk about on our Instagram at at abovethewing.podcast. Kim, do you want to talk us through yours? Yeah. So the first photo for today is actually related to the first article that I talked about about Girls and Aviation Day. It's a picture of four of my friends from college and I volunteering at our local Girls and Aviation Day event in 2019, which was the last one that we had. So pre-COVID. Um, and I just love this photo. It was such a fun day and we got to interact with so many different young girls and, you know, we got to talk about our majors. We're all engineers and I just love this event so much. It has a very near and dear place in my heart. Yeah. This is awesome that you were able to be involved in something like this. Yeah, I agree. It was so much fun and hopefully, um, in-person events come back soon. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be lots more of this to come. Yep. Definitely. Looking at my photo, uh, Textron Aviation, as part of a multi-year sponsorship of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team, unveiled a special edition interior and exterior design for Cessna and Beechcraft products um, last uh, week at NBAA, the air show out in Las Vegas. Proceeds of sales from these special edition designs are going to go to the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team. 
Tektron Aviation's Senior Vice President of Customer Experience said, quote, they are the only team in the Olympics that are not government funded. They are privately funded, so this was a great opportunity for us to work with them. The company said that the design was inspired by the youthful energy of the teams and the athletes, and that the design incorporates the colors and textures of medals and winter sports. The cabin interior includes bright white seating, gold accents on the seats, cabin ledges, interior lights, and rear cabin bulkheads, as well as a gold rendering of the organization's logo, which is pretty neat. On the outside, it also features a mix of white, red, and blue colors and shapes that they described as a sporty and patriotic feel. Um, So looking at the photo, you know, you can definitely say that it looks patriotic and there's sort of like a mountain type shape on it. So um, it's definitely a very cool uh, scheme to it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I really like seeing um, parts of this industry get artistically creative. I think it's just very fun. Yeah, I agree. It's very, very interesting stuff. All right, so that's all for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to our first guest episode with Stefan, and our next episode will be the second part. And in the meantime, you can tune into our Instagram at abovethewing.podcast for more content, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.